This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Today we have a chance to visit with an extraordinary guest. We're, we're visiting today with Tracy Madden-McMahon, and Tracy serves as the president of the Nebraska Methodist Hospital Foundation. She's had a magnificent sort of career at Nebraska Methodist and just a, a fascinating background as a, as a journalist and anchorwoman and more. Uh, she's also a, a zip um, or a zag. Tracy, talk to us about, not about Gonzaga today, not about Illinois State, but talk to us about the Nebraska Health System Foundation and, and sort of what it's like running the foundation and how fundraising is changing and how money is allocated and a lot more. Tracy? Well, sure. Scott, thank you for having me. It is a beautiful sunny day in Omaha, so we call these bonus days this time of the year. Um, I have been with Methodist Hospital Foundation for 11 years, and we raise, protect, and distribute funds to strengthen the health of all of our communities. So we are the fundraising arm for a couple of hospitals, a cancer center, a nursing and allied health college, and dozens of clinics. So that's kind of the day in and day out of what I'm fortunate enough to do. And take a moment on how has fundraising changed, not just in the pandemic, but just generally over the last 10, 15 years or so? How has fundraising changed? And then then how do you decide where funds are allocated to? It's a good question, and I think it really is twofold. So some of the changes occurred pre-COVID and some obviously in the midst of what we're all experiencing. So pre-COVID, certainly the understanding and the appreciation um, for where we as a health system need to be and where our donors want to fund, and that by and large is less capital and more programming. Um, Donors really having a desire to lift up the most vulnerable Um, in our communities and wanting to see the investments that we as a health system are making in some of those same areas. So for us, an example of that would be something called community counseling program, where we have licensed mental health professionals in all of Omaha public school, middle schools, high schools, alternative programs, really making a difference when it comes to addressing those mental health challenges early. So that would be one example of some of the changes that we've seen. Then obviously with the pandemic, the resiliency of our current team and healthcare worker shortages, not only now, but in the years to come. So some of those are things like mindfulness and self-care, which are critically important. Some of those are investments in diversity, equity, and inclusion. I listened to one of our African-American chaplains yesterday who I know well, but I heard a completely different part of her life experiences. And that's so incredibly valuable. Um, Training more CNAs, training more nurses, all of that is really um, the space that we need to be in because it's what our health system and our communities need. And that's the spot that we look to allocate resources in is is what do our communities need and what do we as a health system need and where do they overlap? And that's where we want to allocate our resources. And and what about the, talked about the resilience of healthcare workers mental health, health equity, somewhat very different priorities than probably 10 years ago, everything went to a new cancer wing or a new cancer mm-hmm. endowment or a new orthopedic wing or an orthopedic effort or whatever it might have been. Talk a little bit about the resilience of the fundraising community. I assume at the very start of COVID-19, things must have been quite scary for the community uh, and, and people must have been scared to give money because they didn't know what the financial situation would be like. Because the resilience of the fundraising community, what have you seen there? 
We are definitely seeing fundraising come back. Um, you know, a lot of projects that were temporarily put on hold um, are now back on and because they're very much needed. I do think that there is perhaps a difference in how people, funders, are looking at things. And, you know, certainly um, at the beginning and still today to keep people in their homes to make sure that they have food. Those are critical needs and must be met. Um, and so resources shifted to that direction and to the degree that they're going to shift back. Um, certainly there's a greater appreciation for health care as something more than it's really nice to have in a community. It is, you know, as important of an attribute as anything else in terms of a community that you want to live in. And so that has been different, having conversations with maybe some some people that we weren't having conversations with prior to all of this. In, in it, it, another question, um, Tracy, in, in terms of fundraising, in terms of those discussions, when you're talking to high net worth donors or, or companies that have foundations that, that, that are giving money to the local health system, you know, great local health system, has there been a shift in how they want to allocate their money? Are, are they more open to general gifts, which I know health systems prefer if they can? Or do they want to donate to very specific things? What, what's your sense of how big donors and big foundations sort of look at giving money to foundations? Has there been a shift in how they perceive it? We do very, very little unrestricted um, acceptance of gifts from large major funders. Um, they have a idea and a partnership um, with us in terms of where we feel we can be effective because we don't want to ever do something that someone else wants us to do that we know that we can't do well or isn't in our kind of core area of competency. So we work with our major funders on, um, you know, we this is an area that we really have the expertise to move the needle forward to really strengthen the health of our communities. And then those are the gifts that are usually transformational um, in terms of what we're able to do. Um, you know, not to say that those smaller gifts aren't important and sometimes those smaller gifts come in, but really our foundation board if if a donor would not designate a gift, would designate the gift based upon whatever our greatest needs are. So we're not really accepting it just kind of unrestricted. We don't know what we're going to do with those funds. We'll use them how we see fit. Either our board and or our donors are designating those resources for us. And so you yourself had, had have had this let me ask you a couple more questions, Tracy. Sure. One, it, it, as we get into the start of 2022, we're already February, March. What are you most excited about this year? Where are you most focused and excited? Then I want to ask you about your career and maybe advice for women leaders because you've had this magnificent career starting as a Redbird, which I'm very familiar with because I'm in Illinois. But mm -hmm. but then through through TV, through the Health System Foundation, through more, I, I want to talk about what advice you would give to a young emerging, particularly woman leader. But first, let me ask you, what are you most focused on for this year? Then let's talk about advice for emerging women leaders. So what I'm most focused on this year is um, a campaign that we are doing to expand women's health, um, which is so 
critically important. And I'm so proud of our health system because we really are a regional leader in women's health. And so, you know, what that means, um, oftentimes when we think of women's health, we think of babies and giving birth. And clearly I'm a mother of three. Like I get that. That is a, a core area of a woman's health. But to say it's the totality of women's health is to really sell women short. Um, so to really be that resource um, for all stages and phases of a woman's life is something that's critically important to me. I know how needed it is in our community for all different kinds of um, women. And so I'm really excited about what that's going to mean. And while it will be some some physical space, um, it will also mean a lot of other tools, technologies, resources, rural outreach um, to really hopefully make sure that we're not leaving anyone behind. So that's what I'm most excited about this year. Thank you very, very much. And it's, it's, it's so healthy to have focuses, isn't it? It really is. And, and, and magnificent. And talk to us about, you've had this great career and, and a great leader now. You're just highly, highly uh, recommended to us. And it's the second I've had a chance to visit with you on our podcast. So thank you. What advice do you give to emerging women leaders? We've got our producer on the phone or on the podcast with us, Grace Keller, who's a brilliant young woman leader. What advice do you give to a young person aspiring into leadership who's a woman leader? Well, you're very kind. I've been really blessed with a lot of great mentors who have helped me along the way. I'm a firm believer and you don't get anywhere um, by yourself. So advice, um, I would say, first and foremost, be thoughtful about um, who you allow into your head and what advice you take and what you're looking to glean from it. You know, the best advice in the world is something to consider, um, probably not necessarily something to run out and implement. So that would be my first kind of just baseline. Um, let, let, let me stop on that because I think sure. that is such an important point. It's such an important point. You take advice from lots of people, but you learn how to rudder it and steer it yourself. At the end of the day, the decision on where to proceed and how to go forward belongs with you, not with anybody they might have very strong-minded advice. They might have weak-minded advice, but you have to sort of filter out who you're taking advice from. I mean, I always love taking advice from a financial asset manager who has a horrible portfolio themselves. I mean, you, you have to be careful who you take advice from. And then, and then second, in terms of that advice that you take, I, I love this concept. At the end of the day, the decision on how to proceed is with you, isn't it? Absolutely. And I think the best advice kind of turns on something that's already within us. I'm you know, a really big believer that most of us have the answers already. Um, our mentors, our continuing education, the relationships we have with other people allow us to be the best and better version of ourselves, not somebody all together different. So you know, I can remember going to conferences earlier in my career and writing reams and reams of notes, just trying to take everything in. And now if I'm sitting there listening to someone who's fantastic, I'm hoping maybe for one nugget that just makes makes me think about something in a different way. So I agree with you, Scott. I, a lot of it is just um, really tuning into who we are and what makes sense for us versus all the great advice in the world. Thank you. And I know I, know I stopped you. That's okay. Crazy. Give us a couple more pieces of advice that you were going to provide. Um, I would say the thing that probably has been most helpful to me, and this is not gender specific, but is really looking to align what you do with your values and your passion I think it's enormously difficult to be successful if those aren't in alignment, if those don't line up. 
Um, I have an African proverb that I have up in my office that is something that is very meaningful to me, which is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think so often we look at relationship building as a soft skill, as something that really isn't that important. And to me, it is among the most important things that we do. You know, we're better together. We achieve more together. There's greater joy when we go together. And I don't think we were ever meant to do it alone in the first place. So um, that relationship building is really important. And then we kind of touched on this before. I guess I have two more pieces of advice, if you will, or things to consider perhaps. Um, the power of the pause, which for me is something that I continue to work on, turning off all of the noise and kind of tuning in to what's going on with me so I can actually listen to myself um, and not be doing, sometimes just, you know, sit. Um, my best ideas don't come at eight o'clock at night when I'm at my desk, you know, they come when I'm doing something else. So don't lose sight of yourself and the rush to be kind of who the world wants you to be or who you're expected to be. Um, and as I think about it, those aren't really gender specific. So I will add one more that is gender specific and that is raise your hand. Um, most of us have seen the research, you know, there's a new job opening out there and women by and large feel like they need to check every single one of those boxes to even apply where men have kind of figured out, well, you know, I've got some of it. Sure. I'm going to go ahead and apply. So I would say what most of us, um, don't realize is no one's ever ready. No one ever has all of the answers, raise your hand, get set to do the hard work of collaborating with others and you'll figure it out. You know, we have so many challenges, it's really going to take all of us to address them. Thank you very, very much. And, and, and you have both those. The, the last one you stated that, you know, the, the man raises his hand and volunteers, even if he's totally inadequate for the job, where the, the studies show that the woman might be 93% ready, but still is, I'm not really ready, I shouldn't be there, and trying to hit these right balances of, confidence together with competence and knowing that good enough is good enough and that 92% is more than good enough to start a new job or a new challenge or whatever the number is. And again, those are just rough, rough concepts. And, and then the other thing you said, the power of the pause, I think ties in so well to your first discussion on you take lots of different guidance, but ultimately you have to sit back and make decisions and decide what you're doing for you and set your path. Um, and I think that's so important to lifelong happiness and success. The, the, the other thing that you said was about following passion, finding passion. Uh, and I'll, I'll take aside the notion of anything significant done is done in teams. So the, the point on that, go fast, go by yourself, go far, go with the team is so true. But this, this concept on passion and, and, and for someone like yourself, who is a TV anchor, so obviously starts with these great presentation skills or, or, you know, personal skills, and then translate, translating that throughout life into places you're passionate, hitting that passion with something that rewards that passion is a powerful combination, isn't it? It is. And I think, you know, my just belief is that everyone has an amazing story. And oftentimes stories that would just take our breaths away. Um, and, and those are going through us, you know, not only in a pandemic, but all the time. And so that to me has been kind of the, the center point of my life is, is listening to other people's stories and trying to see how you can help, see how you can be of service. Um, and that is my passion. And so 
I'm very fortunate to be able to do a job that aligns with that, and that kind of fills me up every day. Tracy, thank you. Tracy Madden McMahon, thank you so much for joining us again. I think at the start of the podcast, I missed, I, I know that Illinois State is the Redbirds. Is Gonzaga the Zags? Or, and it's it Eklund, is. That's the Zip. So it, Gonzaga is the Zags. I, I had missed that, but I wanted to correct it. But thank you for helping me. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Yes, thank you, Scott. Always a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, fantastic. Tracy, thank you so much. And congratulations on the great work you guys do at the Nebraska Health System Foundation, Nebraska Health System Foundation. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.